0: Good morning again. Just want to say welcome today to Life Church. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, kind of pinch hitting for Pastor Aaron. He, he and his family are enjoying a little spring break uh, vacation this week, but he will be back uh, next weekend as we conclude this series called Confessions. And in this series, really the whole premise of the series is: Have you ever just had a moment of honesty with God? And maybe it's a question that you ask. Maybe it's an emotion that you that you share. Of just being real and authentic with God. Uh, last weekend, Easter weekend, it was a phenomenal weekend here at Life Church. But Pastor Aaron preached a message where we looked at one of the uh, confessions that Jesus himself made while hanging on the cross. He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think if, if Jesus can be bold enough to ask a question like that, I mean, there's, there's so many other questions that spring from Jesus asking this one question, but it was just in a moment of just being real and honest with God. And I think it's okay that we too have moments like that. Today, the, the confession that we're going to look at is Have you ever just said to God, I'm afraid? Uh, I'm afraid of maybe what, what's going to happen next, maybe the future. I'm afraid of if you're a parent here what might happen to my kids. I mean, that's a constant thing that you're always like, okay, is everybody okay? I mean, even just playing outside with your kids, you're looking at least the ages that mine are, you're looking around making sure is everybody okay. <laughs> you know, maybe it's I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough. Maybe it's enough resources. Uh, whatever, I mean, you could we could go down, you could fill in the blank with what it is. In your life, maybe there's something specific right now in, in this season of life that you're just a little, if you're just to be honest with God, you're a little afraid. And I think it's okay that we are honest with God when it comes to our fears. Uh, in fact, the, the, the Bible says that we're to cast our cares upon Him because He cares for us. I, I, to me, that's God saying, bring it on. It, it, it's okay. We can, we, you can tell me about what it is. That you're afraid of. And today I want to encourage you with just one thought. We're going to walk through a, a Bible story today and, and hopefully encourage you. But my, my, my prayer is that you would realize that you don't have to be afraid even when there's reason to be afraid. Not you don't have to be afraid and, and just, you know, there's nothing to be afraid of. No, there, there are things to be afraid of, but you don't have to be afraid even though there are things to be afraid of. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord God, we just invite your presence right now to speak to our hearts. And God, I just pray that as there's all sorts of different situations represented in this room, all sorts of fears represented in this room, God, I pray that you would encourage our hearts today, that even though there are things to be afraid of, that we don't have to be afraid. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Anybody here have a dog? Raise your hand if if you have a dog, okay. Anybody wish they didn't have a dog? No, you don't have to raise your hand. Uh, We have a dog, uh, and I'll just be honest with you. Amanda and I got a dog before we had four kids, okay? So it's not that we love him any less, you know, 11 years later. It's that we have a new set of priorities, and he's kind of, you know, I was actually looking for a picture to show, uh, Our dog's name is Moses. He's a yellow lab. We, and I was looking for a picture. I couldn't find one because it's been like five years since I've taken a picture of my dog. But like five years ago, you know, eight years ago, ten years ago, you know, that's all, you know, that was what you took pictures of because we didn't have any kids at the time. And so I have a picture that my wife found of Moses just so you can kind of be, you know, just the cutest, just the all-American dog um, if you look close, he's, he's soaking wet. That's right after he jumped in the little pond swamp thing behind our house. So that's always lovely when he does that, not allowed to come in the house for a while after that. But uh, good dog, good family dog. Uh, yes, we love him. We don't regret getting him, anything like that. Uh, but, you know, there's times where he, he, he tends to get a little skittish around certain things. Um, dogs are very easily trained because they, they just remember things. And so, our I, I don't know if our dog is any special here, but he, he tends to remember everything, and he'll react differently based on, you know, what happened previously. And so, there was an example of this a, a few years ago. He, um, I don't know, it must have been seven, eight years ago, and he uh, you know very much still a puppy he I, I, he still acts like a puppy to be honest with you 11 years later but he he was very much a puppy very ton of energy and he liked he had this habit this terrible habit that he would af- after you know we would do the dishes which means we'd put the dishes in the dishwasher and move the dishes to the dish- dishwasher and in that process he would like to come up to the dishwasher and start licking the plates off which is just hideous you know and and so every time Moses get out of there that's not a hitting motion. That's a shooing motion. Just, to, just to clar- clarify, Moses, get out of there. And so one night we're doing this. Moses, get out of there, and he doesn't move. And I'm like, why? Moses, get out of there. And he panics. The next thing I know, there is a dog running through our dog. It was running through our house with the tray of dishes, the bottom rack, completely full of dishes, running around our house. Dishes flying everywhere, things breaking, stains happening, and it was one of those things where it took, sometimes it takes my brain a moment to catch up with what I'm seeing. It was like the scene out of a movie, like, is this really happening right now? And I don't even know what, we go finally catch him, I mean, he's fast, he's tearing through, I mean, this thing weighs more than he does, and he's tearing through the house, catch him like, Moses, calm down. What's going? He's shaking. And what had happened is that the, one of the little spokes in the dishwasher had gotten caught into his collar, and he, he, you know, ripped out the drawer. Well, to this day, if you open up the dishwasher, Good. Moses is nowhere to be found. I mean, he not a big fan, because in his I'm thinking, in his mind, the dishwasher attempted to eat him. I mean, that, that has to be <laughs> And so he, did, he didn't lick plates, so it, maybe it was a good strategy on me and Amanda's part to, to, to conquer his fear of, or to conquer his habit of licking off plates, but uh, we, we have things like this, All scientists would call this a conditioned reflex, that you are now, now Moses is conditioned to react a particular way because he remembers what happened, you know, the, the last time that he did that. We, we have these happen all the time in our life. Uh, how many, uh, just illustrate one of these. Anybody play baseball or softball growing up as a kid? Okay, uh, do you remember getting hit by a pitch for the first time? Remember that? And it didn't feel good. It's finally you're away from coach pitch and kids are pitching. I don't know, I must have been fourth or fifth grade when I got, I could take you back to the exact place that I was when I got in Sartell, Minnesota. I could take you to the ball diamond of where I got hit by a pitch because the next time up to bat, you better believe I was standing like two feet further away from the plate and I'm kind of like doing, you ever seen Rookie of the Year when he, he, anyway, you're kind of doing one of these numbers and I am scared to death that I'm going to get hit by a pitch again. And even Major league baseball players, I mean, pitchers will throw it inside, close to them, kind of brush them back to just kind of let them know, hey, you're going to be a little hesitant because I might come, you know, it's, it's, we have these conditioned reflexes. Um, I heard a study that, that was looking at a bunch of different babies and trying to figure out what fears are, are, are you born with. They could only find two fears that babies have. Whether they're born with them or they develop them right after birth, I don't know. But uh, they, they have the fear of falling and they have the fear of loud noises. Those are the only fears that a baby has. Beyond that, every other fear is developed. It's a conditioned reflex. There's something in your life that happens and as a result, you're now afraid Of this. Maybe it was a scary movie. I'm not, I I do not do well with scary movies whatsoever, so I don't watch them. But maybe that, there's something that you're afraid of because of that. I don't know what it is, but in a more real sense, uh, it might work itself out like this. Maybe it's, there's a relationship that did not go well. Maybe it was a business relationship that completely went sideways and so you're a little hesitant to ever engage in that type of relationship again. Maybe it's a dating relationship or a friendship, or maybe it's even a marriage. And now there's this fear of having that type of relationship going forward because you got so hurt the last time. Or maybe it's somebody in your life passes away and, and now there's this intense fear of what if that happens again? Just to, you know, who, who's next? You have that type, those types of thoughts Uh, creep in. Maybe it's just something doesn't go according to plan, and there's just this intense fear of the unknown in the future. We know that these fears aren't from God. I mean, the Bible even tells us in in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. These are not God-ordained fears. These are fears that we just are developed through circumstance, and today I want to encourage you with a, a story out of the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite stories in Scripture. Not, it's not one of the, like, the famous flannel board Sunday school uh, lessons. That, I got a couple laughs, so you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm not going to explain. But uh, it's, it's not like the big famous story, but it's one that's maybe, a, maybe a, like a second-tier story, but I think it is absolutely powerful when it comes to dealing with fear. There's two guys in the story that are the main characters. There's Saul... Who's the king of Israel? And then there's his son, Jonathan, who's the, the prince of Israel. He's the heir to the throne. At the, he, doesn't, he doesn't actually become king, but he doesn't know that at this time. He thinks he's going to be the king. And they have the exact same circumstance, and they react completely different. One reacts in fear, and one reacts in faith. I mean, it's just polar opposite reaction. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to First Samuel chapter 14. And just to kind of set it up a little bit, there's a a war going on between the Israelites and the Philistines. It's one that's been going on for quite some time. There's all these little battles that happen. And they're coming off of the Israelites just having a great defeat over the the Philistines. And and they're kind of riding high and feeling good. uh, But then the Philistines kind of catch the Israelites off guard. And the Bible says that the Philistines beefed up their army. They, They had in this one little area, they had 30,000 chariots and 6,000 men, and the Israelites were in that same area, Saul and Jonathan, two of 600 men. They had 600 men, and they had two swords between the 600 of them. The Bible says that they were actually, because they had just got done with this other battle, they were getting their swords sharpened. They were kind of completely caught off guard, so they learned that the Philistines are here with 30,000 chariots, 6,000 men, and they're like, okay, the best thing to do right now is to hide. And so the Bible says that they hid in trees, they hid in, in caves, they hid in tombs, a little gross, but man, they were just doing anything they could to get away from the Philistines. And that's where we pick up the story in First Samuel chapter 14. Again, two men, completely different responses to the same situation. It says this, One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. There was like a canyon that separated the two sides. Let's, let's go over there. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migrin. With him were about 600 men. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. We'll get to Jonathan's response and kind of what he ends up doing in a minute, but first I want to focus on Saul's response. Saul's response is one that he is, is completely fearful. This is a great warrior. This is a man who, if anybody's not going to be afraid, you would think it would be Saul, and yet he finds himself hiding under a pomegranate tree, just hoping that nothing bad takes place. Saul responds in fear. I think this, the way so many of us re, would respond to that situation, he responds in fear. If you're taking notes today, the, the, the first observation is simply this. Fear is believing that something bad will happen. Fear is believing that something bad will happen. That's where Saul found himself that day. Maybe you find yourself saying things like, well, what if I lose my job? Maybe you don't even have reason to believe that you're going to lose your job, but what if I, what if I do? Or maybe it's just, what if this happens to our family? Or what if this person passes away? What if I get that bad report from the doctor? What if my kids run away from God? What, what if, what if, what if? And you find yourself living in the what ifs of life. And not the, not the good what ifs, the, the bad what ifs. I think there's so many people that live right in that, in that what-if moment of constantly just saying, what if something bad happens? They find themselves living in complete fear. Saul was definitely living there, but the thing that you, you don't see in this story, but if you read just a few chapters earlier, you realize that Saul was given assurance that God would, help the, that God would have the Israelites defeat the Philistines. He said, "I will, I will remove you from the hand of the Philistines. You will win." So Saul had this assurance from God that he would win, and yet he still finds himself saying, "Well, well, I don't know if I trust that 100%. Like, what? There's thirty thousand chariots, six thousand. We got six hundred guys. I mean, I'm not." And he finds himself living. In fear. So so what does he do? He finds a pomegranate tree. And I think we could preach a whole sermon just on a pomegranate tree because I think oftentimes when, in, when we're in fear, we run to comfort. And I think that's what the pomegranate tree really signifies here is that the, the, it, it's a place that you would have shade. It's a place that you'd have at least some sense of security. It's a place that you would have food. And he's just like, that's just, I'm gonna kind of stay in this comfort zone. Jonathan, however, Responds very different to the same circumstance. We continue reading in in verse six, is one of my favorite verses of scripture in the entire Bible. It says Jonathan, it says this Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Can you imagine saying that in in that circumstance? He he puts his life on the line on the chance that God would save them. 600 men, two swords, 6,000 men plus 30,000 chariots. I mean, he just said, perhaps the Lord will do something great today. Perhaps the Lord will show up. See, if fear is believing that something bad will happen, faith is the opposite of that. Faith is believing that something good will happen. Faith is believing the good what-ifs. Well, what if God does show up? What if God does a miracle? What if the, the, the word really is true? And maybe play this out in your own life. Maybe, maybe the word is true when it says that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What, what if God's word is true? What if God shows up. That's what faith looks like. And Jonathan is not given any assurance in that moment that it's not like God, you know, wakes him up in the middle of the night and says, hey, just go do this and you're going to have a great victory. He doesn't, ha- he doesn't even know. He's just kind of like, well, maybe. What if? If you keep reading in verse 14, this is kind of what, what, what happens. It says, in the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army. God didn't show up until after he had already killed 20 men. Then panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. See, I think too often we think that God's going to clear the way for our first step. Okay, why don't you just make everything good and then, okay, now I'll have faith. And he's saying, no, that that's not how... It's not how this thing works. I mean, if you read through any miracle in Scripture, I mean, read through the New Testament, some of the the miracles of Jesus, every time it involves uh, the people that the miracle is performed to, it it involves them taking a step of some level. I mean, God, you look at the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. I mean, you could pick out any example. It doesn't just, I mean, Jesus could have just made food appear out of nowhere. Here you go. But he doesn't do that. He takes two fish and five loaves. He takes what you do have and he multiplies it. That's the way God always, I mean, when you see a pattern like that in scripture, you can bank on it. That is the way God operates. Is there an exception to that occasionally? Sure, there might be, but God often operates by process. And he's waiting for somebody to say, okay, I want to see, take that step of faith and then I'll, I'll let me put my super onto your natural. Let, let me perform what only I can do when you do what only you can do. There was a time in my life um, several years ago that I was in high school and I uh, was kind of uh, having one of those what to do with my life type seasons, you know, I was kind of like, you know, what am I going to do? And again, I was, um, I think I was a junior in high school and I decided, you know what, I'm going to go to a state university. It's, I had this plan that I wanted to go to school debt free. And so I'm like, that's the way to do it, and I want to be a businessman. That's kind of what I saw my dad do. It's what I, I'm good with numbers. I just thought all of that, that's just my, that's what I'm going to do. And then one day, God messed all of that up, and, and just more clearly than maybe any other time in my life, he just said, no, you're supposed to go into ministry, and you're going to go to a college that's twice as expensive, and uh, become a pastor, and I was pleading with God, kind of like this. God, I don't know if you know this about me, but uh, if you do the Myers Briggs test, I'm like an ISTJ. Okay, that is not pastor material. Like that is like accountant, actuary type material. Like that is just not. Uh, I'm scared to death to even talk in front of people. Like that is not my thing. You got the wrong guy on this one. I don't know where, where you got. You know, I'm just having this conversation with God. And then God, sooner or later, he, he, he finally he just kind of got my attention and said, Ryan, if I've called you to do something, don't you think I'll provide a way? Like, do you think that I'm just going to leave you hanging? And I'm going to just work everything out for your detriment? Like, just trust me on this. And it was a big decision. And I'd like to think that in every major decision, I had that kind of faith. But for this one, I, I, I did. And I just said, okay, God, I'm going to do... I'm not, I'm like 95% sure this is what I'm supposed to do, but okay, let's go for it. And I don't even know how it happened, to be honest with you. There was was miracle after miracle after miracle, but I ended up going through college. That same goal that I had to go through college debt-free, I was able to do at a college that was twice as expensive because it was God just saying, I got you, it's okay. And if I've called you to something, I'm going to provide. If I called you to something, I'm going to make a path. I'm going to make a way. But it did involve quite a tremendous amount of faith on my side to say, okay, I'm putting everything on the line, the trajectory of my life on this faith that God really did call me to do this. As you continue reading the story, you kind of see how it all unfolds and see the, the rest of the story. In verse 20, it says this, Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Those Hebrews who had been previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So the Lord rescued Israel that day, and the battle moved beyond beth I mean, talk about your ultimate bandwagon type <laughs> situation. Jonathan takes this great step of faith. God sends an earthquake, panic, like the Philistines are literally killing each other. Like God showed up in a miraculous way and then all the other Israelites are like, well, let's, let's go fight, you know, because th- we're gonna win. God is clearly on our side. I mean, it's kind of like the ultimate bandwagon fan uh, experience. But never underestimate, What one moment of faith, what the ripple effect can be that goes well beyond just your moment of faith. I mean, Jonathan had one moment of faith, and he didn't know that that was going to result in all of these other things of God showing up and performing an absolute miracle. Last thing today, if you're taking notes, is acting in fear stops the work of God, but acting in faith multiplies the work of God. Acting in faith just doesn't initiate the work of God. It multiplies the work of God. There is a ripple effect that takes place that is way beyond any one act of faith. Uh, There was a man in the 18th century uh, named Ed Kimball, just an ordinary guy. He was a Sunday school teacher, and he had just a heart and a passion to see people come to faith in Christ. And so he took it upon himself. That was his life goal, mission, was I'm going to tell as many people about Jesus as I possibly can. And there was a, a guy in his Sunday school class that he really felt like, man, I, I really got to do everything I can to see this person come to faith in Christ. And so this, this guy was a shoe clerk. And so one day, Ed Kimball shows up at this guy's uh, shoe store and just says, please, can I, I just, I, I want to see you come. I mean, he's pleading with the guy. And the guy finally decides to put his faith in Christ that day. I don't know what, how that exchange went, but he puts his faith in Christ. That, that guy then went on to be one of the most effective evangelists of all time. That guy's name was D.L. Moody. Many of you have heard of D.L. Moody. But the story doesn't stop there. D.L. Moody then goes to England, and when in England, there's a guy named F.B. Meyer that he leads to Christ. F.B. Meyer then goes back to the United States, and he becomes a preacher on college campuses and on one of those college campuses, there's a young man named Wilbur Chapman. Sounds like a good farmer, you know, like Wilbur Chapman. He leads this guy to the Lord. No, nobody's ever heard of Wilbur Chapman. But Wilbur Chapman then started a company and employed an ex-baseball player named Billy Sunday. There's, I'm sure some of you have heard of Billy Sunday before. Billy Sunday became an evangelist, and he, then he started an organization called the Christian, uh, the Christian Businessmen's Committee, the CBMC. And the CBMC, 10 years later, invited a preacher named Mordecai Ham to Charlotte, North Carolina, to, to preach in a tent that night. Uh, that night, there was a man on the receiving end of that message named Billy Graham, who decided to follow Christ for the very first time that night. You all know who Billy Graham is. Billy Graham has reached hundreds of thousands of people for Christ. One act of faith, a couple hundred years earlier by a guy named Ed Kimball, who uh, he had no idea what the ripple effect was going to be. And you could tell story after story like that. I could tell a personal story of just even my grandfather taking an act of faith that who knows if I'd even, uh, you know, be here today without that act of faith. There's a multiplying effect that faith has when we simply say, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Perhaps the Lord will show, show up. And I know you might be saying today, Ryan, I, I got it. I understand cognitively that I should choose faith over fear. But man, that's, that's easier said than done. I mean, if I told you what I'm going through right now, how do I go about doing that? Like, I it just how do I muster up faith? And I, I, I can't give you like a magic answer that's like, hey, just do this, one, two, three, and you're good to go. And uh, it's not like that. But let me encourage you with this. uh, When you look at the life of the disciples, I think you see an excellent example of people who were completely fearful and then became fearless. And there was something that happened in between there. If you read through the New Testament, I think this is always fascinating that the disciples walked with Jesus They saw him do miracle after miracle after miracle. They heard him teach just these phenomenal teachings. And yet they seem like guys that were constantly afraid. If you ever read read through the Gospels, it's like, why are you afraid right now? You're walking with Jesus. Like, there's no reason to be afraid. There's a story where they're out in a boat, and the waves are crashing, and, and the Bible says that Jesus all the while is asleep, you know, like, He's just sleeping, and, the, and the, the disciples wake him up. Jesus, like, we're tr- gonna drown. What's you got? What's what are we supposed to do? They're completely panicked, and Jesus says, "Don't. Why are you guys afraid? <laughs> Have I not done enough miracles? I mean, that, that's got to be what he's thinking. Like, I d- just fed five thousand people with two fish and five loaves, but you're freaked out that we're gonna drown. Okay." Then you get all the way to the end of Jesus' life, and I'd like to think that the disciples would step up when Jesus is arrested and say, no, we're going to fight, this isn't happening, we're going with you, Jesus, and they don't. They, they abandon him. I mean, Jesus is completely left alone. You fast forward several years later to the, the start of the New Testament church, and you read through the, sto- the, the, the writings of Paul, you read through the book of Acts, and you see a completely different Group of people. I mean, you see, uh, you see men who are completely fearless. Jesus is with them. Totally afraid. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Jesus is not with them anymore, and they are just fearless. I mean, 10 out of the 12 disciples were martyred. A lot of them were tortured because they put their faith in Christ and they, they didn't matter. Nothing. They were completely unflappable. What happened? What, have you ever wondered that? Like, what, what's the difference? Why are they so fearless over here? The only, the only explanation, the only explanation is the same thing that we celebrated last weekend. That the disciples saw Jesus die. Three days later, they saw him raise again. They saw him conquer the grave. They saw him conquer death. And they ate breakfast with him, you know, like at, on the beach. Like, that is what happened. And I have to imagine that was a game changer for the disciples. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm projecting a little bit, but I imagine, and you pick up on this throughout throughout the Gospels, that the disciples were like maybe 90% sure that he was the Son of God, but there was still this 10% chance, what if we're wrong? Like, yes, he's doing all these miracles. He has. It seems like he's the guy, but like what? It, and so they're not completely sure. When they see Jesus raise again after what he went through and endured on the cross, I think it absolutely sealed the deal. They were like, I'm 100%. I'm sorry I even doubted, but man, I am convinced this is the Son of God and this is something worth dying for. And because Jesus conquered the grave, I don't have to be afraid of death. And if you're not afraid of death, you're not afraid of anything. You can walk through anything completely filled up with faith when you know that Jesus has gone before you and has conquered death. See, the power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that dwells in us. But I think the question that we have to ask is, do we really believe that? Do you really believe that has the, has the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we celebrated last weekend, has that actually impacted your Monday through Friday? Has that actually changed the way you live your life? Because when we really believe that, when we really believe that Jesus has conquered death, that there is no sting of death for us, that that there is no, yes, we're gonna die someday, but that our eternity is in heaven, that there, what's there to be afraid of? There's a a Beth Moore, who is a famous author and speaker, and maybe you've read some of her books, but in one of her books, she had this extreme fear that her husband was going to die. And it was, she played the what-if game all the time. What if this happens? And there was one day where, where God talked back and said, well, what if that does happen? And she said, well, and she answered the question. This is in her own prayer time, but she says, well, I guess I, I would go completely numb. I wouldn't know what to do. I suppose I have friends and family that would help me make arrangements, and we'd have a funeral, and we'd bury them. And then he said, well, then what? What would you do next? Well, I probably wouldn't go in public for a month. I'd just sit at home and just cry and cry and cry and cry. I wouldn't know what to do. And then God said, well, then what would you do after that month? Well, then I'd probably have another month, she said, that I'd just sit at home and not go in public and just cry and cry and cry. And then he said, well, well, then what would you do? And she said, well, at a certain point, I'd, I'd have to move on and I'd have to trust in you that you were going to help me get through it. I'd have to lean very heavily on you that you'd get me through it. And then God said, exactly. See, at the end of every what-if scenario, is a decision of am I going to trust God and put my faith in Him or am I not? See, oftentimes what we fear the most is where we trust God the least. So I don't know what it is that you might be fearing today. I don't know what it is that maybe is, maybe you're not going through a season of fear, maybe you are. But do you really trust God? Do you really believe that He will work out all things for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose? Do you really believe that? And as we, as we wrap up today, I want to read a passage of Scripture out of the book of Psalms that is, uh, is a very famous passage of Scripture. You've probably heard it many times. But if, if today, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or stand up or respond any way like that, but if today maybe you're facing a fear, that even as I talk, it's like your heart's beating, you know exactly, like this is, I know exactly what I'm dealing with right now. I would just ask if, while I read this, would you just close your eyes? And I just ask that these words just sink into your heart and encourage you and uplift you today. It's found in Psalm 23. This is the Psalmist David writing. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever."